Welcome back to the Early Way in Podcast. I'm glad to be back with you talking fights. UFC Vegas 39 this Saturday. Unfortunately, though, it is kind of the start of like a three-week stretch of some, some kind of mediocre fight nights there. But USC treats us with back-to-back pay-per-views here in a couple weeks. We've only got 11 fights uh, this Saturday, but fortunately it is our girl Mackenzie Dern in her first main event spot taking on Marina Rodriguez, the classic grappler versus striker. I'm expecting a real fun main event on Saturday. Real small loss um, last week, kind of been the norm as of late, you know, but go ahead and let you recap that, man. Yeah, you, you hit it on the head as far as some lackluster fight nights. I, I can appreciate that they're still giving us a fight night on the yeah. Wilder Fury weekend, <laughs> but I understand why the UFC is not throwing everything at us right now. Um, like you said, we did end up negative, minus .29 units last week. Uh, we hit our biggest bet of the night with our yeah. four-unit hammer on Nico Price. A little bit sketchier than we yeah, might have right, liked, yeah. but uh, Nico did do what he needed to do to get that win. Um, then the Misha Serkinov fight. Um, Close, man. Maybe the takedown at the very end maybe, sold it for Chodko. Maybe but. so, and I, I, I don't know where Misha's future is, especially at 185. I don't think that it's there. Um, the Joe Selecki pick, again, we thought we had a lean there. Um, Jared Gordon, uh, he won. Yeah, he, great round one for Selecki, but yeah, I do think the fight went the right way. 100%. Um, then the Santos by TKO round one. That's a tough one for everybody. We also, that was our parlay buster as well. We had the under four and a half in that fight. Busted everybody's yeah, parlay. Yeah, who saw that one coming? <laughs> Tiago Santos versus Johnny Walker ends a decision. That's yeah. insane. Um, then we had Smith wins by TKO. Definitely in that first round. We thought that we made yeah, a good a bet. Um, good spots. But Malarkey, I think he's real deal. I texted yeah. you right after it, and it's like, he's earned our respect. He's, yeah, he he's got a chin. He's making improvements, and I, I won't doubt him in the future. Um, then the uh, Andrade versus Perello under two and a half rounds. Uh, yeah. That one hit with ease. It that did. was a, a great fight. Um, glad we Definitely glad we hopped on that at plus money for we sure. Should've hit it harder. Maybe should have hit it harder, but regardless, I'm glad we hit that. Mm-hmm. Um then uh, the Andrade wins by submission, plus 2,000. It didn't hit, had but to. had to. Had to. That was an insane price to get him at. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, I wish we could have cashed on that. But I, like you said, happy that we hit it. Um, before we go down this fight card, uh, make sure you give, this, uh, give us a like and subscribe to the channel. Before we get started, we'll go over a couple of the bets that we've already released on Twitter. Uh, we start off by backing our girl Mackenzie Dern in the main event. Uh, we got her at minus 155 for one and a half units. Um, we also hit the Mackenzie Dern submission in round one. Yeah. We really see that that is a possibility. But if it doesn't happen, we have kind of, um, you know, slight hedge. Slight hedge by getting the fight doesn't start round four. Um, if she can't find her way to the mat, there's obviously a, a chance that Marina touches her up just like she did Amanda Rivas. Right. And um, we, we definitely don't see this fight going to the judges. Um, lastly, we have a parlay put together where we have Alexander Romanov and uh, Mateus Nikolaou both to win. It puts it at around even money, and we've got a unit and a half on that as well. Pretty confident in really both like those that. picks. Absolutely. Um, let's go ahead and start on the main card. We start in the light, lightweight division where we see Steve Garcia taking on Charlie Ontiveros, who's 11-7, and seven, and to be honest with you, not UFC caliber. Right. He, um, he's getting beat on the regional scene by 1-0 fighters in Fury FC, and it just kind of seems like the UFC is doing him a favor by taking that Holland fight on right. short notice. Yeah. He almost got killed in that Holland <laughs> fight, man. I honestly thought that his back was broken. That when was he scary. was Yeah, it, it was scary. I know that there was uh, you could hear a pin drop in that, in that uh, uh, arena whenever right. that happened. 
Turns out he was okay, though. Yeah, it turned out he was okay in taking pictures afterwards. Right. <laughs> so that, that's all good. His, uh, his opponent, Steve Garcia, he's coming out of a solid gym in Jackson Wink. And um, he is 0-1 in the UFC with his loss coming to Luis Pena. But he has had some quality wins outside of the UFC. He had a, a win over Jose Maricel in LFA coming into this fight. Mm-hmm. And uh, he has a win over our boy, Ronnie Lawrence. Uh, those are both, like, way better than Charlie Ontiveros, <laughs> in my opinion. Uh, I think it's pretty clear cut that this is Charlie's last chance to prove that he is UFC caliber. Um, but I, I don't see it working out for him. I will admit that Steve Garcia has had problems in the past with those longer, lankier guys. I just don't think that uh, this will be a problem for him. I'm actually looking at taking Garcia inside the distance. I'm curious to see how you're seeing this. Uh, so the most interesting thing about this fight to me is is the weight difference. The fact that you saw, I know he's typically a 170-er, but fighting at 185 last time, typically a 170. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you look at Steve Garcia, whose majority of his career is at featherweight, and even at the Dana White Contender Series, he missed weight trying to fight at bantamweight. So, I, you know, it's a big weight difference here. To, so to see Steve Garcia as a minus 300 favorite, right off the bat's a little worrisome for me. But you're right, man. Charlie Antiveros losing to just um, downright cans, except MVP and Jeff Neal, of course. Mm-hmm. But he's also just only wins he have are, are complete cans. And, you know, I don't really want to question his heart or his durability. But, you know, the Kevin Holland one, you're right. You know, it was taking pictures and stuff afterwards. And you look down, he's got some doctor stoppages, some rib injuries. And mm-hmm. I showed you the one where he's pulling arm bar and the guy kind of, you know, stomps on his head. And, he milks it a little bit, man. So, like I said, I, he, he's in the UFC. I'm not. I don't ever want to question it. But sometimes I, I do think Charlie looks for a way out of there. On the side of Steve Garcia, you talked about being at Jackson Wink. Works a lot with Dana Batchery mm-hmm. um, and Edwin Cooper Jr., who was the Iowa wrestler I sent you about uh, that fights in LFA, who I think is going to be a phenomenal prospect. The best win over Ronnie Lawrence, you're right. It, it's his best one. But man, that's a that's a bantamweight in Ronnie Lawrence, and now you're you know he's fighting a welterweight in Charlie Antiveros, and and even when he's coming up short to Alon Cruz, uh, featherweight Joe Warren, featherweight Ricky Tercios, bantamweight, mm-hmm. um, I could definitely see him struggling with the size of Charlie Antiveros. So as I got into it, um, I almost don't even want to don't even want to put Steve Garcia in anything because he's almost just as unproven to me. Um, it's an extremely low level fight, but I do think that it ends inside the distance. So I've actually looked at parlay and maybe it doesn't go the distance with maybe a money line later on in the card that I like. Yeah, I don't hate that. You're right. It's, it's not going to see the judges. Right. But um, it, it is something to note that Ontiveros coming down to 155 and showing those chin problems in the past. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine that helping him out any. And Steve Garcia throws some power in his punches. And although he is the smaller guy coming into this, um, Ontiveros doesn't like getting hit. Like you said, he's a little bit of a quitter. So yeah. um, I, I can see, like I said, I see this going Garcia inside the distance, but you're probably right. The safer play is um, the fight doesn't go the distance because Ontiveros is long enough, and Garcia has shown those holes against those longer fighters in the past. Love to have action on that first fight, so we might end up doing something with probably that. Probably so. Our next fight takes place in the featherweight division where we see Charles Rosa, who's 14-5, and five, taking on Damon Jackson, who's 18-4-1. and one. Rose is coming off that split decision to the guitar hero, Justin James, and that tells me all I need to know, man. I mean, he, he comes out of a great gym and American top team, but this dude's inconsistent as can be. Oh, yeah. I know you're one to uh, about the patterns, about the superstitions. He is back and forth with wins and losses, and um, judging by this one, he's going to catch an L right here, man. <laughs> 
Um, ja- uh, Damon Jackson, you know, he's tra- training out of Fortis MMA. He's getting, he's coming off getting steamrolled by Elio Taporia in just the worst way possible. Pleasure to watch this he's, week. <laughs> exactly. He's only a purple belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but he's got some really, really uh, slick submissions, and he gets them from some weird angles. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, just by their, their belts, Rosa does have the grappling edge with his black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but we've seen him worked on the ground, especially when he doesn't have that size or strength advantage, mm-hmm. and I, I think that that's something that we could see here. It's it's definitely what the odds makers see, and I do lean with them in saying that Jackson is the favorite here. I just don't think that I want to pay that price. So I think ultimately I'm going to lay off, but I will be picking Damon Jackson. I think Charles Rosa is a little bit in over his head, and uh, the, the I, I would be I would be lying if I if I didn't say that the Justin Jane split is really weighing heavy <laughs> on my uh, decision about this fight. I was about to say there's no way you're laying this much juice on Damon no, Jackson no, no, right no. now, man. With Charles Rosa, you're right. He spent a lot of time on American Top Team, but he switched over to Sanford MMA, which we've seen a whole lot of bodies go there to get some work mm-hmm. in recently. Um, and it, it's really these last like three or four fights since returning from his injury that you can just draw a whole lot from and not really got a whole lot to see because a lot of time he spent on his back, like you talked about, getting dominated. But, you know, his hands, I think they're a little bit sharper than Damon Jackson. You've seen that he can box, um, outbox Kevin Aguilar, who is a guy who particularly relies on his boxing to have success. Um, and even while on his back, man, he's shown like ridiculous submission defense at times, you know, and when you look at all these submissions Damon Jackson has, I think it's some of like, you know, what they maybe call wiki capping, you know, just looking at the records and stuff, and maybe I think that's why Damon Jackson has gotten steamed so much, is seeing all those submissions and see Charles Rosa dominate on the mat, but dude, Derek Minner, as long as his gas tank can hold up, you know, he can grapple, man, he's out there doing it with Darren Elkins and stuff, and we don't have to talk about how good of a grappler Bryce Mitchell is. You know, I, you talked about Damon Jackson's purple belt. I'm hesitant to, to think Damon Jackson can replicate that, you know, one bit, if I'm going to be honest with you. And originally, Charles Rosa opens as the minus 180 favorite, and Damon's the plus 155 dog. Now it's complete opposite. You see Damon is the minus 180. And so if you take a stab on Charles Rosa to, you know, to keep the bookies on us, I don't even hate that. With Damon Jackson... I, Charles Rose is not going to be the one to do it by no means, but Damon Jackson has been on the receiving end of two nasty, nasty KOs, and potentially going forward, if we get to cap him again against a power puncher, man, I'm, I don't think Damon Jackson's chin is all that great, if I'm going to be honest with you. I'm uh, I'm real curious in this fight, because I, I think it's much closer than a pick These line movements kind of got me all sketched out. I don't think Charles Rosa is like one of my most confident dogs of the night, but I do see some value on Charles Rosa, but man, I'm probably going to pass altogether. Yeah, it's just tough for me to get behind Rosa. You look at his wins in the UFC, his last two being splits to guys who are (laughs) 0-4 in the UFC, no longer with the promotion, or at least I can't imagine Justin James getting the call back, and then Manny Bermuda is another one who's not in the UFC anymore. Um, to me, Derek Minner isn't that good of a fighter, and if you're if you're getting worked by him, you'll get worked by the majority of the division. Like I said, I'm with the odds makers and the fact that Jake Jackson is the favorite, but sure, I'm, I'm with you. Sure as hell not laying that juice on him. Yeah, we'll pass all together, man. <laughs> Next up is the first leg of our parlay, where we see Alexander Romanov, who's 14 and 0, taking on Jared Vandera, who's 12 and 5, with the heavyweight division here, and. Um, you know, I think the UFC's learned a little bit from putting these low-level heavyweight fights up on the main card. Sometimes they're just 
Curtis Blades, Rose and Stroy, some boring grappling fest, you know. But um, I think we can agree, man, making a mistake here, putting Romanov a little bit lower on the card here. With him, um, before last fight, he was on the cusp of being put in there with, like, you know, the Spivaks, Aspinalls, Dalkus of, mm-hmm, like, the, mm-hmm. the new wave coming into the division. And after that stun he pulled in that last fight with the Spino, I know a lot of people have kind of – Lost a little bit of respect for him. As took those the, Aljo Sterling notes. <laughs> yeah, know? man. The, uh, the groin shot he took, um, soft, man, and very milk. But, man, Romanov, not only did that happen, but we kind of saw, like, our biggest fear for him come true. You know, we saw him have to, like, defensively wrestle and get extended. It didn't look good. He started slowing down bad where Jared Vandera, you know, he surprised everyone for the good last time out. Everyone thought he was going to go out there, and if he was going to have success, it was going to be wrestling Tafa. And he goes out there, uses his size, his length, puts up over 300 strikes, and just outboxes the guy. Um, maybe he fell in love with his hands a little bit. I hope so. I, I really like Romanov to get this fight to the mat early and, and mimic Spivak's performance and put this guy away. How about yourself? Yes, that's what should happen, man. I am a little bit salty about Romanov right now. He did cause me to lose that week's challenge. If you remember, that was the challenge. (laughs) That was so funny. But uh, try to look past that. Romanov's a fucking monster, man. I mean, he's literally one of the most terrifying guys in the division with his explosive wrestling and ground-a-pound for about seven minutes, man. You know, He, He really does have cardio issues, and... What Vandera showed us last time is that he's he's addressed his cardio problems, right. and if you can put up 300 strikes in a heavyweight fight, you're doing okay, yeah. you know? Um, one other thing that I don't necessarily love about Romanov, he doesn't get hit well, man. He does not act yeah. as the nail well at all, mm-hmm. you know? he, he uh, We saw that in the, in the Espino fight, but I, I will, like... You know, kind of hold off a little bit. Trying to compare Espino and Vandera, it's a little laughable. Man. Oh, yeah. They're, they're completely sure. different levels. But if Vandera can withstand that initial barrage from Romanov, it could get a whole lot sketchier than this minus 600 that we're seeing Romanov mm-hmm. sitting at right now. Um, one, th- one fight that really gave me confidence in Romanov is that Sergei Spivak yep. fight. Romanov's just a, a bigger Spivak. <laughs> he's just a bigger, better wrestling Spivak while he's still got um, cardio. Maldovan too, I believe. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's a he's an absolute monster, and like like we said, like it should happen this way, but uh, we have been screwed on some low level heavyweights yeah. in the past, yeah. so there is a little worry in 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 that. But we did get Romanov at minus four hundred in our parlay, and mm-hmm. um, we didn't have to take him at this minus six hundred, minus six fifties that we're seeing now. So I like him. He should win. Um yeah. but I, I wouldn't be the it wouldn't be the most surprising thing if Vandera outlasted him and, and made this a little bit closer than we we're anticipating. I remember in an interview Vandera had after his loss to Spivak, he was like openly talking like how his coaches were like, Hey, you don't have a get up game. You don't have a bottom game and it mm-hmm. was very evident and you know what was that uh, less than a year ago earlier this year seven (laughs) not even seven months ago something like that the strides aren't going to be made that if he ends up on bottom to get out from underneath Romanov whereas Espino he's got the credential championship level wrestling to where he could you know he was able to make Romanov wrestle a whole bunch give him a bunch of resistance and eat at that gas tank where Vandera man he called out Spivak when he won on the Contender Series. He wanted that fight. He thought that fight was good for him, and it did not go his way from the moment it started. Mm-hmm. Um, I expect Romanov to get him down early and, and hopefully get this done inside the distance and not make a sketch on us. Something to look at, which if you know if playing Ro- playing Romanov at minus 600 is too juicy, mm-hmm. you can get 
him by round one finish at plus money right now. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. That might be worth a stab. Yeah, for if you're the, not uh, in the lane, the juice in a parlay, it's definitely worth it. Yeah, that's definitely his best opportunity to get that finish. So. Absolutely. So as we're breaking this fight card down, the Jamie Pickett versus Lorino Starpoli fight just got removed because of proto or COVID protocols. That was actually our casual cap challenge. So we're going to make a an impromptu shift to a different fight later on in the card. Um, we do move on to the undercard main event where we see Chris Gutierrez, who's 16-3-2, taking on Felipe Colares, who's 10-2. I'm going to be completely honest with you, and I think that there is a lot of recency bias going on in the general public's view on this fight. I've seen a lot of people that are the most confident they've ever been on a fighter on Chris Gutierrez this weekend, and I just don't see where it's coming from. Surely it's not coming from Andre Yule, who we know isn't that great of a fighter just coming off of his loss over Julio Arce. Surely it's not the draw from Cody Durden or the win over Vince Morales. He's splitting with Geraldo De Freitas and then beating guys like Ryan McDonald, who's fighting in the art of scrap now. I, I don't think that Chris Gutierrez has given anybody any reason why he should be a minus 300, although I understand that Felipe Calares is not that great of a fighter. Felipe Calares did surprise both of us last time, where I know we bet Luke Saunders, hoping that we could finally back a Tennessee boy, and it did not happen, man. Luke I'm Saunders... Like, I went through doing that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Luke Saunders uh, did not produce for us at all. Um, Gutierrez, he has insane leg kicks, which will probably be a factor in this fight, as Calares yeah. does have a heavy Muay Thai stance and, yep. and leaves that front leg out there. Um, but I, I do think that Gutierrez's takedown defense is something that could be exploited here. Calares does have decent entries on his in his wrestling, and he was able to get Geraldo De Freitas down a couple of times, and he looked good doing it. If this fight winds up on the mat and Gutierrez can't find his way back to the feet, I could see this really busting up a lot of parlays here, which is why I'm personally laying off of Gutierrez, and I'm happy to podcast it as well. So... I, I, I agree and I disagree. I, I do think uh, I see where you're coming from. The line is extremely, extremely wide, uh, but I do I do think Chris is aside, and I won't be surprised if he does walk away with it pretty easily. Coming out of Factory X Muay Thai, he trains with some really, really good guys, and just now approaching 30 years old, this guy's got a ton of experience in the World Series of Fighting and LFA. He's got wins over Ray Rodriguez, Aaron Phillips, Jimmy Flick, Timur Valiev, who mm-hmm. are all on the UFC roster. Before Flick retired, um, but you know you can't talk about best calf kicks in the UFC without mentioning Chris Gutierrez after that Vince Morales fight, and it's going to be hard to ever after that performance. It's going to be hard to get a good line on Chris. I feel like because it was just such a standout performance for him, and uh, you know you finishing someone with leg kicks is always going to stand out. The draw with Cody Durden. Cody Durden's a phenomenal wrestler for one. I don't think Felipe is on that level and able to shoot out in open space and stuff and be able to get Chris down. But at the same time, he had a little bone to pick with that fight too, you know. Uh, every single judge gives Cody Durden a 10-8 for basically nothing but back control. No damage, back control. And then we lose a Joe Selecki bet last week where he basically has back control for four minutes in round one, the same way Cody Durden did, and no judge gives it a 10-8. Mm-hmm. Little, you know little salty but it's just another example of the discrepancy in judging that we have all across um, you know the UFC with Felipe at range man I, I do think that he's playing with fire with Chris Gutierrez I think those legs are going to get chopped up and I think when he tries to close space um, you know Chris's hands are going to be a whole lot faster 
Um, and when he enters any of those takedowns, Chris hit Andre Yule with a knee right up the middle very early and discouraged a lot of Yule's takedowns after that. You could just see it on him. And then his, I know Felipe is probably his path to victory here is to grapple, but you know, you see DeFreitas landing six takedowns on him, Montel Jackson landing 11. You see him tiring out and Pilarte landing two or three there in the third round. And man, Luke Saunders, he just retired from MMA, I think. Beating Luke Saunders in 2021 when the guy's like 36 years old. I know we backed him. Um, man, it, uh, honestly, looking back, could have been a bad play by us, but I just don't put a lot of stock in gutting a performance out against Luke Sanders. I'm, he literally lands a takedown late in round three that that seals the deal on that, and, and I think Chris Gutierrez is levels above what Luke Sanders is right now. I'm okay with this laying off. I don't see it as comfortably of a victory as some people do, but, yeah, I, I think Chris is going to walk away with the victory on Saturday. And I might be looking too much into it, but, you know, uh, Kalara is having a loss to Geraldo de Freites and mm. Chris splitting yeah. with Geraldo. The shows are pretty close in level. Right, which is kind of why I'm like, mm-hmm. this line is a little bit wide. Even Montel Jackson, like, I think that Montel Jackson gets lined pretty damn close to yeah. uh, Chris Gutierrez here. It's, um, I think it's a whole lot closer than the odds like to show, and I'm not nearly as confident as, as most people are in Chris here. Um, so, yeah, once I know again. Felipe's like a plus 250 right now, but I guarantee he does not run round one against Chris, and I bet you get plus 500, plus 600 after round two, or, and he's gutted his last few wins out in the last two rounds. So if you're going to bet Felipe, I bet you get a damn good line live. Yeah, I don't mind that at all, actually. Yeah. Kicking off the main card, we're in the middleweight division where we see Phil Halls, who's 11-2, and two, taking on Deron Wynn, who's 7-2. and two. Phil Halls is now operating out of Sanford MMA, which – I feel like it's such a great move for that guy with his style of fight and all the wrestling. He's got a body of grapplers there versus where he was at Jackson Wink. Man, it's Holly Holm and John Jones and stuff. It's it's point fighting, and that is not his style whatsoever. John Jones is a wrestler. You know, whatever. <laughs> okay. uh, Phil Halls, I feel like his career has just kind of been rushed. I guess you could say at three fights in, he's on the Ultimate Fighter, and he's having to fight Andrew Sanchez, who happens to be a collegiate national champion himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Luis Taylor and, and um, you know, who is he fighting on uh, the Contender Series there? Uh, when he gets, his head, kicked, Bastia, when he gets oh, his head kicked off. Julian Marquez. Julian Marquez. It's just like, uh, he's what, six, seven fights into his career when he's having to fight these kind of guys. And I think now we're finally maybe starting to see him coming to his own. And he's making those improvements in the cardio, which was always our biggest concern for him. Where Deron Wynn crazy to look at that guy and think that he might not make weight on Saturday, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last one at 195 pounds with Arroyo, and he really surprised a whole lot of people. He's at all the disadvantages that you could be at, and he finally showed off that uh, that wrestling that DC just always talks about, you know. He talks about him, you know, he wrestles with, what, Islam and Andrew Sanchez and DC and, and all the guys that Islam's, I'm sure, bringing over there. Um, Look, I think uh, I think Phil Hollins is a pretty comfortable pick here. I think he's got the wrestling background to, to keep Deron Wynn off of him, and I think he's a better fighter. <laughs> yeah, so I'm with you in that Phil Hollins is kind of proven as UFC caliber yeah. at this point. Um, I definitely had my doubts after that contender series loss, but like you said, he's kind of fought through adversity and overcome those uh, cardio issues, mm-hmm. which was my biggest knock on him. Um, when, like you said, coming off that massive upset, I did call that one. Yeah. I knew Ahoyo uh, was a hype job, and it turns out that the UFC has now cut him. Packed him up, sent him on the way. So he can, uh, <laughs> yeah, 
Um, when he really relies on his wrestling to find success, which, like you said, is going to be very, very difficult against a JUCO national champ in Phil right. Haas. And Haas is going to have a seven-inch reach advantage here. He's going to be the more powerful fighter, the the bigger fighter, the faster fighter. And I don't think that there's very many paths to victory for win. But it is tough to want to lay, um, you know, that minus. What are we at? Two hundred something. Two seven. Two seventy maybe. Phil Halls is looking at... Oh, minus 300. Minus 300. Yeah, so it's really tough to want to lay minus 300s when we know in his last two fights, he's getting rocked. He's yeah, getting there's absolutely There's some times where he's on chicken legs. Yes, and it's, uh, you know, he doesn't have the greatest head movement. Um, like I said, he's proven that he can fight through that adversity and, and stick to his game plan to grind out those wins, but it's not something where I'm, I'm willing to lay three to one odds on somebody... Um, that that could get upset again just like he's shown in the past yeah man i'm with you with phil halls um that's something i noted that like doesn't really wear a punch well you know it's not that he's getting knocked out by no means but he his legs get a little wobbly and he's he's got the hands out reaching for the clinch um but one thing both of these guys have in their favor phil halls just got through fighting amavov and dalkus two tall can be like like rangy strikers, where Duran Win he's coming off a of Jared Mearshart and Arroyo six foot three guys, so mm-hmm. both of them are finally getting someone that they're not having to close a massive amount of distance to get their game going. Um, I favor Halls pretty good, pretty heavily here, but I do I told you I think there's a real broken line in this fight. Duran Win, dude, this guy is not finishing Tom Lawler, Eric Spicely. He doesn't seem to be able to. He doesn't for one his boxing is not that good and when he gets in on space he doesn't seem to have a bunch of power by no means you know um, I don't necessarily see him finishing halls if he uh, you know drawn win is a product of how much he can get his wrestling going and if he can get it going he's going to win a decision that's sitting at plus 450 18% implied odds it's like um, if Duran win if he does win this fight I absolutely think it's by decision and that's probably somewhere about a 30% odds if you're going to bet Duran win I think you take the plus 450 and um yeah, I think that's his best path to victory there, but all day on the Phil Hall side. I'm glad we both see it that way. We move on to the women's flyweight division where we see Sabina Mazo, who's 9-2, and two, taking on Maria Agapova, who's also 9-2. and two. This is our violence bet of the night, It man. is, man. Um, Agapova, she's a spectacular, spectacular fighter in that first round uh, with six of her last eight wins coming by first-round finish. And she's actually coming off one of the biggest upset losses in modern UFC history uh, with her loss against Shayna Dobson. Um, it was tough to see, and you kind of saw uh, that she's her similar. Her body quit on her. Her body quit on her. She, she's a fast starter and does not know how to pace herself right. whatsoever. Um, that being said, she's only 24 years old, and the yeah. fact that she's getting some training in with girls like Jillian Robertson, uh, getting some work in at MMA Masters, those are some really good people to be working with when you have so much raw talent like Agapova has. Mm-hmm. Um, not nearly to the same extent as the Agapova loss, but Mazo is actually coming off of a, yeah. an upset loss herself against Alexis Davis. Mm-hmm. That was up a weight class, yeah. so I, I do think that that probably played a factor in the in why Mazo couldn't get it to the ground where she usually finds success in her fighting. Um In this fight, I know that we're playing the under on it. I think that the finishing upside early is definitely on Agapova's side. Um, I wouldn't be surprised at all, though, if we saw a similar sequence as Agapova's last fight in Shayna Dobson, as Mazo is a much better fighter than Shayna Dobson and um, can and has Mm -hmm. shown that she can go three rounds. Um, 
you know, another thing I'd like to note is that Mazo is returning back to flyweight, which is her normal weight class. And I, I think that um, she could she could have some success. She's a big girl herself. Right. And uh, I think that this fight will be a close one, but I can't I can't see it going to the judges. And the fact that we can get it at plus money, I love that we played that, man. Absolutely, man. I'm on the side as well. I think this hits with ease. Um, with Agapova, a big comparison for me to, like, uh, Michelle Perea. You know, he mm, comes okay. in there. Gets that awesome debut round one finish, just like she did over Hannah Cyphers. The next fight out, freaking theatrical performance before you step in the cage. You know, mm-hmm. during the introduction, she's pacing back and forth, head bobbling, and damn near wasted half her cardio before the fight starts. Mm-hmm. And at the end of round one, you could see this girl was absolutely gassed. She's throwing cartwheels like Michelle Pereira trying to pass guard. And uh, yeah, man, I mean, just very immature. And you could tell she's very young in her fighting career, but. Man, don't be mad at her for <laughs> for busting parlays. Like, be mad at yourself for betting her as a minus fifteen hundred two fights in the UFC women's MMA not named Valentina Shevchenko. That exactly. is that is just um yeah that's uh, that's, that's on you as a better <laughs> yeah for sure. I think Agapova especially early offers the style to beat Mazo similar to Alexis Davis. She's gonna push her forward. She's going to have a ton of forward pressure in the apex cage. Sabina's not going to be able to keep that distance the way she likes. And she's got nasty ground and pound that opens up a lot of those submissions once Agapova does find her way on top. With Sabina Mazo, she's actually working a whole lot with Mackenzie Dern this camp. So I think she um, you know, was ex- she saw her holes in her ground game last time, and she is hoping mm-hmm. to improve on them. She's just as young. you know. I think she's only 23 or 24 herself. Um, and I think coming back to flyweight is definitely her natural weight class as Bantamweight Alexis Davis was able to – man, there was, there was zero like resistance on those takedowns. They were some of the easiest takedowns I've ever seen someone get. And seeing that, I do think, especially early Agapova, is going to be able to replicate some of that. But if she you know, is able to survive that, I don't think Agapova has the gas tank to be able to go the full 15, and Masa is going to be able to find that finish in round two or three the same way Dobson did. Great mat- matchmaking here. Yeah. I think the UFC is trying to see which one of these two are the better prospects to kind of uh, push behind, and um, what a great time to do it, especially both of them coming off of losses. They both have something to prove here. Seeing Agapova's last performance, I did not honestly did not even think we'd get plus money on the fight and going the distance. It's mm-hmm. pretty crazy, and I love our bet there. Same. Moving on, we're in the men's flyweight division where we see Tim Elliott, who's 17, 11, and 1, taking on Mateus Nicolau, who's 16, 2, and 1. I've always said Tim Elliott's kind of like a poor man's dominant Cruz, you know, uh, maybe even like a mix of Colby Covington in there a little bit. He's okay. got that that awkward footwork style, but unlike Dominic Cruz to set up the strikes, you know, he uses it to set up some unorthodox takedown entries. And, uh, you know, he's sitting at a 48% takedown accuracy, which is not very good, but it's the ability to, like, chain those attempts together to eventually uh, get his opponents down to the mat that I like. And he's got a great pace that he puts forth, but, man, uh, I think Tim is starting to approach the tail end of his career. He's kind of always been that top 15 guy. He's Kind of had to fight his way back already, and I think a couple more fights, and this guy's probably going to call it quits. On the side of Mateo, similar. He's kind of had to fight his way back. He got released once the UFC was kind of releasing flyweights when they didn't know the division was going to be around, and went over and fought some pretty decent competition before getting his way back. A 10-3 and guy, a 13-4 and Felipe Efrain, who was the same guy Tim Elliott beat for the Titan FC flyweight belt. Mm-hmm. So he's, yeah, he's fighting really good guys, and... You combine that with the signing of his smoking girlfriend on the Contender Series, it's 
absolute perfect time to sign this guy back. And in the first fight, I don't really I hate to put like my own narrative and spin into betting, but he's coming off a year and a half layoff, you know, and he's fighting a fellow counter striker in Manel Cape. Um, that's why the fight wasn't that real exciting. Tim Elliott's going to be coming forward. Mateus's counterboxing is going to be on display. I think he's got the submission threat to, to cause Elliott some harm on the mat. Mateos finishes out our parlay with Alexander Romanov, and super confident on Mateos here, man. Yeah, man. The more we talk about Mateos, the more I'm, I'm wishing that we would have just hit three units, mm-hmm. minus 190, and just called it a day. Uh, I'll start off by saying I'm actually a fan of Tim Elliott's fight mm-hmm. style. You know, I think his skill set and style is solid, and it's fun to watch, um, but I do feel like he's at a point in his career where he's just plateaued. You know, you talked about him. Um, I know he's on a two-fight win streak, but you're right. He probably is, is rounding out his career right now, and um, I don't see much upside. Mm-hmm. As at, I think he's 34 years old now. Yeah, 34 years old now. Um, I can't imagine him really getting uh, <laughs> making a run to the, to the title or anything right. like that. Um, he often relies on his durability and his pressure to overwhelm his opponent, but I, I believe he'll far, fall short against a much more technical fighter in Nicolau. Nicolau's defense is so good it, mm-hmm. it does make fights boring you know um he's very very strong in his grappling exchanges and as a black belt on the mat um and you know like you said like he stood up with our boy manel cape and, and outclassed him mm-hmm. you know at the end of the day we were wrong on that pick and i don't think that nicolau was uh should have ever been a underdog to him mm-hmm. um Elliot being only a blue belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I could see where he's going to struggle to find success when Absolutely. it does get to the mat, if it does get to the mat. And um, I'm happy we parlayed Nicolau. Like I said, the more we talk about it, the more I don't see very many paths uh, to victory for Elliot at all, um, just because I think he's outclassed technically on the feet. Um, he's definitely at a disadvantage whenever it comes to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and I don't think that he's going to be able to get in on the hips of Nicolau in this fight at all. Uh don't disagree with anything you said, and I don't know if there's any more I can add, man. I'm, I'm glad we're on the same side and found a way that we could parlay Nicolau. Mm-hmm. We move on to the co-main event of the night and the casual cap challenge for us. Uh, it takes place in the 170-pound division where we see Randy Brown, who's 13-7, and seven, taking on Jared Night Train Gooden, who's 18-6. and six. Kind of insane that this is our co-main event, man. If I'm being completely honest, <laughs> this, is, this is prelim level type fight right here. <laughs> Um, I wasn't able to find it on his Instagram, but apparently Randy Brown has been training with guys like Marvin Vittori, Kelvin Gastelum, and uh, I know that he's been getting his workouts with our boy, uh, Gregor Gillespie, which I know is pushing him to the fullest extent. We've, we've seen some of his workouts. quarter of that workout. (laughs) (laughs) That dude's insane. Um, Randy Brown is very long, slick submission game, which we've seen in his last two wins over Alex Oliveira and Worley Alves. And also he has a solid stand-up game whenever he's given that room to kind of find his rhythm. He has great calf kicks, the good double jab, and then the speed and athleticism to boot. Gooden, on the other hand, is someone who I've kind of tried to fade every single yeah. time he's been in the uh, fought in the UFC, and it's finally got the best of me in that last fight um, where he got that career-saving KO over yeah. Nicholas Stoltz. Um, I'm not saying that Gooden's an awful fighter by any means, but he is one of those guys that needs that KO shot to win, and he use it, utilizes his durability so that he can find that range, being one of those shorter, stockier guys in the division. Um, he does kind of remind me of like Mike Perry. <laughs> Eats a lot of shots, but damn it, he's one shot away from changing right. somebody's night. And to me, Randy Brown hasn't really shown to have the best chin. Oh, yeah. um, he, he's he's there, There's 
times where I've seen where I can't I can't lay the the price at a two to one price on Randy Brown here. Um, I'm picking Gooden right here. I do think that he has a solid chance to get the KO, and he's also kind of my underdog pick of the night. I don't think that there's many dogs barking on this card, um, but if there is one that I see winning, I think that Jared Gooden has a pretty damn good shot. One more angle on this fight that I like is I do kind of oddly enough see this one going to the judges, and if it does, I, or, I'm sorry. That being said, I like the over one and a half sitting at minus 160. I think that there'll be a feeling out process, mm -hmm. and if Jared Gooden does find that range, it'll be kind of in that uh, those later rounds when Randy Brown starts um, becoming a little bit lazy and leaving those openings up for him. So I've kind of always been on the opposite side of you as kind of make a case for Jared Gooden the first two fights into mm -hmm. the UFC, mm -hmm. you know? But yeah, I'm going to be on the opposite side on this one here with Randy Brown. But with Jared Gooden, um, you talked about how is this our main event, like what, you know, like, what a knockout can do for your career, you mm -hmm. know, basically. He's 0-2, but he's, he's taking on veterans, Alan Joban and Abubakar. It's like, those are hard fights, but stepping in on Nicholas Stolse like he did, career-saving, so smart of him, mm -hmm. too, you know. UFC's not going to cut you when you take when you step up and save a fight on the main card, right. you know. Um, and Stolse was far less caliber than Joban and Abubakar. It was perfect opportunity for Jared and... Awesome, you know, I'm extremely happy for the guys. He's a good friend of some other UFC podcasts and stuff out there. Um, but I'm afraid, man, in this one, I think he's a little bit, I guess you say, one dimensional, has to land that right hand. Has you, but he's done it in 14 of his 18 wins, Should you know. Yeah. So he's he's an absolute finisher. And when you look online, Jared looks to be taking fighting way more serious these days. He's working with Phil Rowe, he's going down to Fusion XL. Um, and if he's watched um, Randy Brown's last couple fights with Luke A and Cowboy Oliveira, that calf kick is with 100% needs to be in the mm -hmm, game plan. Mm -hmm. Randy Brown, I think he's just a sharper, more technical, more polished of the two. You know, I, you talked about the size and length and athleticism this guy has. He's very technical in his approach when he's able to have that space. His jab is so long, he'll fire nasty body kicks at you. Um, and that right hand, man, the way he landed it on Cowboy, it closed the distance quickly and closes a lot of distance. He talked about that slick submission game. I think he's going to have not just a submission and jiu-jitsu advantage. I think Randy Brown's going to have a significant wrestling advantage here. And if he needs to, I think he'll, he'll be able to take good and down. But Especially the fact that he's working on that wrestling game yeah, with Marvin Vittori and Gastelum. It could be, and that could be something that he's working with them to incorporate that in the game plan, you know. Um, but, yeah, man, make no mistake about it. We've seen Randy Brown, you know, KO from Nico off his back and stuff. Shots that are going to have far less power than Jared Gooden's right hand. And, and honestly, um, we'll talk about it in a second. I think, um, you know, it would be prelims in a lot of other fights. But on this, I think it has co-main written on it for a reason on this one. And I, I expect some fireworks here. I'll say one other thing that kind of makes me happy to back Gooden here. He, he's never been submitted in his career, and he actually himself, he's got a mixed bags of, uh, of submissions. Mm -hmm. He's got seven submissions on his record, eight knockouts. He's, he's well-rounded as well, and considering the fact that he hasn't shown those holes in his ground game, mm -hmm. I'm thinking that he will be able to keep this on the feet unless Randy Brown has made those huge improvements in his wrestling and can get this to the mat on his own terms. I was watching the Oliveira fight this week, and I know Oliveira has fought at 155 in the past, but Randy Brown... He is a massive welterweight. Massive, massive. Uh, good co-main event. Happy to take the favor here on the casual cap. Hopefully I can get back on track and uh, see what happens on Saturday. Mm -hmm.
the main event of the evening is in the women's strawweight division where we see Marina Rodriguez, who's 14-1-2, taking on Mackenzie Dern, who's 11-1. Marina Rodriguez repped off two good wins in a row there. Big pay-per-view win over Amanda Rebus. And then, uh, you know, good veteran uh, that she just beat there, Michelle Waterson. But that was about 125 pounds. Mm-hmm. We got to see her go five rounds. But whenever we've seen this girl make that weight cut to 115 pounds, I do think it takes a significant cut on her cardio, especially against heavy grapplers. She does have the Muay Thai bank, uh, background heavily in her favor. She's got the level of competition heavily in her favor as well. But... And this girl has just not shown nothing off her back whatsoever. She, When a fighter is resulting to striking off her back, similar to Conor and Habib or something, that's when you know you can't get up. And we've seen that numerous times with Marina Rodriguez. And luckily, Mackenzie Dern, man, she knows a thing or two on the mat. You mm-hmm. know? Um, it is her first main event spot, and it is her first time going five rounds, and four of her five UFC wins have come in the first round. So it's a little bit worrisome. But also, we got plus 650 on that mm-hmm. first round mm-hmm. sub, which is how all four of those five wins have happened. So I love that. She's sharpening the hands with Jason Perillo, although watching that Dan Robo fight doesn't really look the smoothest of hands. Uh, it's all kind of to close distance. But that's two grapplers. And oftentimes when you see two grapplers fight, similar to you know how Phil Halls and uh, Deron Wynn are, oftentimes it becomes a striking battle, which could mm-hmm. potentially happen on Saturday. And that's what happened in the, the Dern and Dan Robo fight. But, man... Dern, does she have the wrestling of, let's say, Carla Esparza? Maybe not. Does she need it? I don't think so, man. I've seen Randa Marcos. I've seen Amanda Hebus and Cynthia Calvillo get this girl down. And Mackenzie Dern is just levels above all of those girls I just mentioned on the mat. I think once she gets it down, she finds the finish that round, man. Yeah, man. So, honestly, this wouldn't be my first choice for to headline a card, but I do think that it's an excellent matchup. Mm-hmm. Like you said, it's a, it's a classic striker versus grappler here, and I yeah. love that we're backing the grappler. Um, we like to back her any chance that we could get, but like you said, this seems like a tailor-made matchup for Mackenzie Dern here. Um, Rodriguez is kind of notorious for having lackluster takedown yeah, defense, yeah, sure. and to be honest with you, um, whenever the fight does get to the ground, um, holding on for dear life and hoping that the ref stands you up against somebody like Mackenzie Dern isn't an option. You know, Mackenzie Dern's going to be slicing through you like one butter. Pass. That's all we need. Yeah, <laughs> man, and it's going to happen quickly. Mackenzie Dern isn't one to waste time, and it, she doesn't have to be patient on the, patient on the ground because she's so high level. I would say her bit that Mackenzie Dern's biggest test to date came in her last fight to Nina Nunez, where she absolutely rolled. I know a lot of people thought that Nina had the tools to kind of keep it standing, and they were dead wrong. And now we enter an octagon that's 25 foot. That's a smaller octagon. Mackenzie or uh, Rodriguez shown that takedown defense, and I, I honestly think that we'll see this go to the mat. I love the fight doesn't start round four prop because let's say. Um, Dern can't get it to the mat in the first two rounds. I would bet that it takes about two rounds for Marina Rodriguez to find success on the feet. You know, um, if you were to ask my dad, um, the fact that we're betting against Marina Rodriguez after what she did to Amanda Rebus, uh, he would say that we're a little crazy here. I do think that she is high, high level when it comes to striking. And against most other girls in the 115-pound division, I think Marina Rodriguez would whoop their ass. Yeah. I just think that Mackenzie Dern is the future. You know, I think that she has the best base in women's MMA right now. Um, so many maybe women's MMA fights may, end up on the mat. <laughs> right, right. The only girl that I would uh, that I'd be looking to fade Mackenzie Dern against, to stop the top of my head, is Tatiana Suarez. Yeah. 
Um, outside of that, I think that Dern has the advantage over anybody when it comes to the mat, and I'm happy that we're backing her. Um, I also love that we have that small hedge that it doesn't mm-hmm. see that fourth round because, like I said, Rodriguez could find that success. Um, but I, I think that we made the best play possible. I uh, I don't think it's long before Mackenzie Dern finds a takedown either. Like you said, it's a smaller octagon, but Marina loves that tie clinch of hers, and I do think if she is able, it, it it's. You know, it's just instinct to her to grab it, and if she does, it's going to be a simple little trip behind with with Dern's right leg, put her right down on the mat. Mm-hmm. Man, yeah, Mackenzie Dern, I feel like has five rounds to when you're going to sub this girl, man. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's pretty crazy to think that if Mackenzie Dern gets through this, she's got Rose and Zhang Wei Li and Joanna waiting on her. It's just crazy to think the the girls who have just been leading the way for flyweights, Mackenzie's one fight from fighting those mm-hmm. girls and. It's awesome to see. Um, very good looking. Awesome to see an octagon and uh, check our tweet. Absolutely, <laughs> glad to back her. Um, yeah, nothing else really to say, man. McKenzie's level above like, this girl on the mat. Marina's levels above this girl on the feet, and it's just gonna be whoever can get their game going. And historically, it's it's usually the grappler, mm-hmm. man. I appreciate you guys tuning in on a relatively mediocre card here. Only ten fights now. Um, it's so not too uh, short. I'm sorry, not too long of a podcast. We're gonna make the challenge now on the co-main event there between Randy Brown and Jared Gooden. Expecting big fireworks, and it's gonna lead that off as my fight of the night that I think people need to be watching, man. Nice, nice. I I think that that also will be a fucking barn burner mm-hmm. for as long as it lasts. Uh, my fight of the night has to be uh, Duran Wynn versus Phil Hawes. I think that, like you said, those are two grapplers. We'll probably get a striking battle, and neither of those guys um, have shit the most show. technical striking, <laughs> so it might be a shit show. Uh, for my fighter to watch, I'm going to go with Mackenzie Dern, uh, not only just because we're backing her and stuff, but she is, uh, like you said, it potentially could be tailor-made as she's got a girl who just has shown lackluster defense. She's in her first main event spot. And a smaller octagon. On a smaller octagon. Uh, yeah, she's in a good spot, like I said. Um, there's only huge fights for Dern if she wins this mm-hmm. one. How about yourself? My fighter to watch has to be Agapova here, man. <laughs> she's coming off that huge upset loss, and she's got some some uh, something to prove here. Yeah, you know, uh, This would be a huge bounce-back win for her, and she'd probably get that hype. Maybe not as much hype, but gain that hype back as she moves forward. For sure. What about your best underdog? I'm a, my best underdog is going to be my casual cat, Jared Gooden. Uh, like I said, I don't think that there's many dogs on this card, um, but for what it's worth, I think that that one's lined pretty inappropriately. So mine was going to be my casual cat, then I was going to take Jamie Pickett. Mm-hmm. Um, so, man, if, I, if I've got to go down through Lucky there. Lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> if I've got to go down through there, there and pick one just right off, you know, off the top of the head, um, I'm going to go Charles Rosa. He opened as a minus 180. Mm-hmm. I think snag him as a plus 155. An underdog, so uh, I'll go with uh, an underdog pick as Charles Rosa. Didn't know about that opening line. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, my best bet, um, I think Luby's a good bet. You know, I, I really yeah, do. She, she is. She's uh, <laughs> she's beaten Sam Hughes as an amateur. They went five rounds in a technical draw. Um, yeah, I really like Luby here. I don't think Sam Hughes will be able to replicate anything just Panay did and at range. Man, Luby's gonna light this girl up. I uh, absolutely love that pick. My um, my best bet is gonna have to be Mateus Nikolai, man. Um, honestly, he is better everywhere when it comes to his matchup against Tim Elliott. Uh, I think that defensively, he's one of the most sound fighters ever. And if Elliott can't overwhelm you with his pressure, um, he'll he'll get outclassed on the feet. So I can I can expect the Nicolau by decision, but it's only sitting at plus one twenty. So I'd be much more confident in just laying the 
you know, um, the hammer on his money line or adding him to a parlay like we've done in our podcast. I'm, I'm with you, man. We're going to start something new where we like to also give out a prop bet that we really like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I told you guys earlier, I think Deron Wynn only wins this fight with this wrestling and by decision. To sit at plus 450, implying only 18% of the time. Um, I think it's much closer to a 30 to a 35% time that Deron Wynn can wrestle his way to a decision if if his wrestling is as high level as DC talks about and stuff. So uh, Deron Wynn, by decision, plus 450 is um, definitely a little wide. Yeah, I don't I don't mind that at all. I think my bet, my best prop bet is going to be Agapova Mazo doesn't start round two. That's sitting at plus 390, which is like a 22, 23% mm-hmm. chance that it mm-hmm. happens. I think Agapova, you know, wins the fight in the first round at a 30% clip. Now you add that I get Mazo in that as well. If Agapova gasses like she did against Shayna Dobson. I know it's a girl fight, but at plus 390, I think that there's some value there that doesn't start round two. I don't hate it, man. We've already released a couple bets on Twitter and at the beginning of the podcast as well, so make sure you get on those before the line, um, you know, gets out of whack there. I appreciate you guys tuning in. We'll see you next week, and let us know in the comments who you have in the main event. Peace. (laughs) Peace.